The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. All right, welcome to another episode of the Touch 'Em All podcast. And uh, Derek Wetmore, let's start off right away with some juicy, controversial drama yeah. in Twinsland at One Twins Way. And it's mostly one-sided right now because the Twins haven't really given their explanation for why they fired Doug Mankiewicz beyond we wish him well and we hope he gets another job. But the Twins fired Doug Mankiewicz. The Twins have been going through over the past several months and evaluating every level of the organization. And uh, they let go Jack Goyne, their director of research and analytics, who's been in the organization for 15 years. That was like a month ago. They let go of Eric Rasmussen, who's been the team's pitching coordinator, the organization pitching coordinator for a number of years, 27-year employee. And Doug Mankiewicz, one of the most popular players in the early 2000s, and fiery, hard-nosed, fan-favorite, and has had four, I believe, division or uh, league championships in the minor leagues as a manager in five years, and they let him go. And I'm going to read, let's just start off, I'm going to read comments from Doug to the Star Tribune, and then an anecdote from Doug's wife to the Star Tribune. And while we're going through this, let's try to answer the question of, did the Twins do Doug Mankiewicz wrong in the way that they handled this? Doug said, quote, I feel bad for the kids who played for me, including the ones I manage that are helping the Twins make a run for the playoffs right now. Ask any of them about me as a manager, Doug said humbly. Not so. Minkiewicz's teams finished in first place in four of his five seasons at the helm. Um, yada, yada, yada. Credentials, winning percentage of 563, so 385 and 299, which is very good. But the 42-year-old Minkiewicz was informed of his firing on Friday as part of an overall reorganization of the team's minor league and scouting system. As he cleared debris left by Hurricane Irma from his Florida Keys neighborhood. Yeah, how about that? Quote, I've been cutting down trees up and down the block, cleaning out after the hurricane, and watching the National Guard go up and down the street. My cell phone was out for several days, and then I got a call today, said Minkiewicz, known throughout the organization as Dougie Baseball. I'm out here working my rear end off, dealing with the remnants of the hurricane, and they call me to tell me I'm fired. You think they'll ever do something professional as an organization? And it wasn't Thad Levine or Derek Falvey who called him. It was Brad Style, who has been the farm director the last few years. And it uh, looks like he's headed for a different position in the organization. To add to it, Doug Mankiewicz's wife, Jody, had some things to say. This is Jim Suhan in the Star Tribune. While covering the Twins in the late 90s and early 2000s, I got to know Doug and Jody uh, pretty well, which meant getting to know Jody as a smart, savvy observer of baseball and uh, people in and around the game. Doug used to tell me, uh, after an 0 for 4, that Jody would be waiting with hitting tips. So in the wake of the Twins firing Doug as the Class A manager, I, Jim Suhan, have been in touch with Jody, and she didn't want to be quoted directly, but she said six weeks ago the Twins asked Doug to manage their Arizona Fall League team. That's usually a compliment and often a sign that the manager has a future in the organization. Doug turned down the opportunity because Jody was due to have heart surgery. Six weeks later, the Twins fired him. I've also been told by multiple sources that Doug has received condolences 
and expressions of anger from many in the Twins organization. He was very popular with his former teammates and players in the organization. He was ambitious, uh, but that's no crime. So there's a lot coming out here from the Minkiewicz side, basically painting Derek Falvey and Thad Levine as these callous people who, during a time of, of turmoil in their family, left Doug without a job. And it sounds like there was, according to Doug, there was really no merit or reason for why they've hired him. And so my question to you is, what's more plausible here? This is where I start to to go with the smell test and wonder who's lying or not telling the whole truth. What's more plausible? That Derek Falvey and Thad Levine are just callous bleep holes who are out to fire people with no rhyme or reason, uh, no logic, no deep thought behind it, and um, and just out to, to, to get somebody from a personal standpoint. Or that maybe Doug's side of the story is lacking in some way. I think there's a lot more to this story, and I'm not ready to buy that Thad Levine and Derek Falvey, who, according to a lot of other people in the organization, have been very gracious in terms of telling employees to live balanced lives, take time off from your job, mm-hmm. uh, make sure that you're recharging on a regular basis. I don't think they would demand that Doug Mankiewicz is by his phone every second after Hurricane Irma or that he for sure work through his wife's medical crisis right. or he's fired. Yeah. And the fact that it's being painted that way rubs me the wrong way a little bit. A couple of things because it, it, it does sort of – it's spun as fall leaguer out. But, right, I mean I don't think that could be it. If it is, I think personally then shame on them, right? I mean you can't tell an employee – to do this extra work, and if you don't, you're fired. In some businesses, and depending on the ask, of course you could do that. Yeah. But I don't know many businesses that would be like, I don't care about your family medical situation. Guy, we need somebody to tell these prospects how to hit. And by the way, that is 100% not what's happening here. And just before we go any further, I did some digging on this. The Twins don't want to comment further. The Twins would like to just leave it at, uh, hey, we wish Doug the best going forward, and... We hope Doug can find a job somewhere else, and he's meant a lot to the organization. In my digging, I have found I don't know what the greater meaning was behind the firing, but there's more to the story, and the Twins just don't feel comfortable hmm. throwing a guy under the bus beyond firing him and, and sending him on his way. Well, so to get back to the Fall League thing, it's that like it, it can't be just that. We, we've established that. Um, I do wonder... You mentioned we hope he gets another job. I do wonder if his comments on the way out the door help or hurt him getting another job. I don't think they help. I think he adds value to a baseball organization. He's clearly could be a major league manager. I don't know about that. In fact, in fact, let's. Well, I mean, yes, I think he could too at some point. But let's go down the checklist here. Okay, Doug Mankiewicz and his wife are claiming this is BS. It wasn't clearly communicated to me. We don't know what the communication was like. Can I add another thing into their claim? Because Jim puts a spot in his blog that I think you have to be reading between the lines to have heard. You said it out loud, and, and it's what jumped off the screen to me. But I, I'm i not sure that it would necessarily smack you over the head unless you were looking for it. Jim wrote in his own words, and this is a short blog post, but he clearly, I mean, clearly he's talked to Doug at least and certainly Jody for this. He said... He was ambitious, but that's not a crime. Like, of course it's not a crime. Derek Falvey's looking to hire ambitious people. Yes. The fact that that made it into his blog post makes me think that if Jim said, hey, if you had to guess, I know they're not telling you what the explanation is. If you had to guess 
what would it be? And the fact that that wound into a fairly short blog post makes me think that they're saying, well, I think I'm totally speculating here, pure speculation. But if I'm Doug, this comes across as, well, Paul Molitor feels threatened by you because so many fans on Twitter would rather have the fiery butt kicker, Doug Minkiewicz, managing the team than Paul Molitor. And so since you're threatening, you're out. I'm just saying how it maybe comes across. I mean, that that might be how it comes across to Doug Minkiewicz. I don't think Derek Falvey and Thad Levine are firing someone because he's a threat to Paul Molitor. No, I I agree. I agree. So, yeah. Uh, But let's add up the pieces here. We're talking about a lot of hand-wringing over an A-ball manager. And Doug Minkiewicz, I know that he has a pedigree as a very good baseball player. And he's obviously done some good work with minor league players who come up. The the Eddie Rosarios, the Byron Buxtons, Miguel Sanos. He had good relationships with those guys. But keep in mind, Terry Ryan passed over Doug Minkiewicz not only for the managerial job, but coaching jobs sure. on the staff as an assistant coach. There is something there, I believe. I heard he was a finalist for the co- or for the managing job, that is. Uh, Gene Glenn was a finalist. Paul Molitor was a finalist. They were looking hard at Tori Lovello. Tori Lovello and Paul Molitor were both like two or three different interviews down the line. Mm-hmm. Those were the two main finalists. And then once you decide, and, and Doug Minkiewicz is on that short list, but once you decide, personally, this is me reading into not only the thought process of the current Twins regime, but I'm even reading into the thought process of a Terry Ryan-led Twins team. Once you do decide that he's not your manager, I don't know that it makes a lot of sense to add him to the coaching staff if Paul Molitor decides he doesn't want him, he doesn't want the friction, he doesn't whatever would come out of it. That's a spot where I could say, I could see you trying to protect egos by okay. saying, hey, but if Molly, we're not going to put this guy in If you can't trust a guy to be professional, then that's a black mark against him. Sure. I mean, if you can't trust a guy to, hey, I know you didn't get the job, but we think you could be a really valuable bench coach or third base coach. If you can't trust him to to, to be a team player in that spot, then that's a black mark against him. And I, and I would even add that Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, they shuffled up the coaching staff this last offseason. They had a chance mm-hmm. to add Doug Mankiewicz to a major league staff. For sure. And they didn't. There's 29 other teams that could have added Doug Minkiewicz, either as a manager. There's a lot of young guys in their 40s who are just emerging from retirement and getting jobs immediately in, in, as, as managers and also as assistant coaches. And he is still an A-ball manager. Well, now, obviously, if he wanted a job on a major league bench, he could probably do a little bit more work with the other 29 teams and uh, and get one of those jobs. But just to, just to keep playing devil's advocate to Doug Minkiewicz here. As a minor league manager, he's been suspended. He's been... um, He was ejected once, I think, earlier this year for arguing an ejection from the day before someone on his team. Um, You know, he's instigated brawls. So I just... I think... I'm I'm reading in between the lines here. To just take Doug Minkiewicz's word at at surface value... um, and and say that yeah the twins man they just totally screwed him over and and they did him the wrong way maybe maybe Derek Falvey or Thad Levine could have picked up the phone and fired him yeah if that was the case but there has to be more to the story for why Doug who has been a hothead throughout his career and has and has ruffled some feathers too and I don't think he would even disagree with that no it's just coming out very much one sided let me ask you would you feel differently about this story if he was the AAA manager because keep in mind he was managing Chattanooga wins a Southern League title. And then there's some reshuffling. Jake Maurer's now the manager at Chattanooga. And Minkiewicz, from what I've heard anyways, 
you know, he's got the place down in Florida. Obviously, he was cleaning up after Hurricane Irma, yeah. if you read that story. But uh, that Fort Myers is closer to home, you know, Florida-based. Sure, yeah. And so that maybe that makes sense. So I just – I feel like it's a little bit dismissive to say – He's a single-A manager, just as if all single-A managers are equal. I think... Yeah, I'm not saying they're irrelevant either. Sure. I mean, it's, it's a very important time in, in players' careers here. I'm just saying the the ratio of how important Doug Mankiewicz thinks he is and, the, sure. and how important he actually is and how replaceable he probably is does not equate to the amount of hand-wringing going on and here's the other in, thing. in the wake of this. You got a guy sort of... I mean, sort of secondhand claiming credit for Miguel Sano and Eddie Rosario and Byron Buxton... There are more than one person that went into the development of those players. And guess what? When you signed Miguel Sano at 16 and everyone was already projecting superstar, can you screw that up? Totally. 100% you can right. screw it up. But, like, I don't know what the marginal difference between manager A and whatever's behind door number two is managing Miguel Sano at age 20 and then making him quote-unquote, into a big league star four years yeah. later. And don't, couldn't you say that, and of course, there's a developmental phase and, and you need coaches and managers and other people in the organization to mold those players. But to have those players on your team as an A-ball manager is going to bloat your record, too. So when you sit yes. there and you thump your record, and it goes both ways. you got a bunch of high draft picks. you got a, a guy that signed for a lot of international money that every team in baseball wanted. Yeah. It's a nice place to start. I also I just had this thought when you were saying this, um, where not all A-ball managers are equal. Now, I just argued that there's not there's maybe not a huge difference like in the future trajectory. But let me peel that back for a second because what if there is? What if like A-ball managers are an just a vital time in a player's development track that, hey, you've got the talent of a Clayton Kershaw, but you could either become Kershaw or you could become whatever. Edwin Jackson is a name that just popped into my mind. I don't know why. <laughs> Not comparing Edwin Jackson and Clayton Edwin Kershaw. Edwin Jackson's made about $60 million sure, playing baseball but I don't in his think, life. So. I don't think you'd argue that their careers both trended this way. I think there's kind of like a, a split. You know, you have the talent, you get to the big leagues, and then what are you? And... Uh, yeah, I don't know why I even put a name to that because you can think all, of, like, of all the pictures that you thought of that Edwin Jackson randomly popped in. Your well, head. or how about let's let's even stick with the Twins like Francisco Liriano when he came up in 2006. There wasn't a more talented pitching prospect in baseball. Yeah. Is it his fault that his elbow blew out? Is it the Twins' fault? I'm not sitting here ready to say that, but um, I do think that there's like a range of outcomes for players who stay healthy and maximizing that range is probably the most important thing that you can do in terms of player development throughout your minor leagues. And as we've seen this year, player development doesn't stop when you reach the majors. Look at Eddie Rosario. Look at Byron Buxton. Look at these players who've developed, even Jorge Polanco, who went from one of the worst hitters in the majors to one of the best. Magically. I don't know how it happened. I still don't have all the answers to that, but Player development is an ongoing thing, and so I'm sort of arguing against my first point. Sure, but no, maybe I, those player development people at the lowest levels of the minors are are vitally important. To I, I don't, I don't want this to sound like Doug Mankiewicz was irrelevant. Doug Mankiewicz adds value to baseball organizations in many ways. I'm sure, sure. Uh, and I'm sure that he'll get another job somewhere in baseball. But let me take you back to a year ago when the Twins had fired Terry Ryan, and even before that, when the Twins were the worst team in baseball and they were on the verge of making a move. And the public sentiment among the fans and the media in this town, 90-plus percent of them, 
maybe even 95 plus percent, was you have to clear out the old stagnant country club culture that permeates at Target Field. This team has been irrelevant in a new stadium since 2010, with the exception of a blip in 2015. Hire some fresh thinking in the front office and make sure that you clean out the cupboards and have them bring in a bunch of uh, you know fresh perspective thinkers that can build something new, right? Wasn't that, I mean, almost everybody who's followed the Twins has said, it's time for some new thinking and some fresh perspective and maybe a complete reboot in the organization. So they waited a few months and they started making some of the, the, the hires and the fires behind, uh, firings behind the scenes as they start to, to evolve and, and you know, put together the organization that they want to, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine. So is it really fair to be choosy now and say, well, wait a second, I know we wanted you to clear out the entire cabinet, but why are you firing Doug Mankiewicz? He's a fiery guy. How can you, how can you get rid of a guy who's – it's Dougie Baseball, man. Like, you can't get rid of Dougie Baseball. You can't call for the clearing out of a country club and the clearing out of a stagnant baseball organization and then be choosy when they fire someone that you perceive to be valuable. How do we know that Doug Mankiewicz was valuable? Like, I've heard some anecdotes that him and Miguel Sano got along pretty well, that um, you know he did some good things teaching in the minor league levels. I've also heard some stories that maybe he's overused pitchers, that maybe he's hard to get along with, that maybe he doesn't set a great example and doesn't mesh well with what Derek Falvey and Thad Levine want to put together. And so if you trust that Derek Falvey and Thad Levine are the right two guys to run the organization, then I also think you should trust that they know what they're doing when they look at Doug Mankiewicz and say, you know what, thank you for the service. Not going to throw you under the bus publicly, but it's just not going to be a fit here long term. Okay, this is fun playing devil's advocate. We don't always get to argue on the Touch em All podcast. We're kind of in lockstep. Okay, pause that thought. If you're going to play devil's advocate, are you yes. going to play devil's I'm going advocate? to advocate for all of the devils. Okay. When we come back here in just a second, we're going to stay uh, live on Facebook where you can find us, facebook.com slash 1500ESPN. And I want to tell you guys about uh, Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard, which has been one of the main loyal sponsors of not only this podcast, but the Mackie and Judd radio show and 1500ESPN. So they keep us uh, pumping out these sometimes horrendous, but sometimes mildly decent twin stakes. And if you want to stop in, there's 2018 model Camrys on the lot right now. They have revamped the Camry and a couple other models and uh, added some new bells and whistles and technology. So check out the new Camry and some of the other new Toyota models on LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. And also you can just stop in on the corner of 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard and say hi to my friends in that showroom area. Say hi to Badu and, uh, and Tony and Paula and tell them Phil Mackey sent you in. Here's what you might have missed on a recent Gopher Hole podcast. Pete Nigerian. Yeah, it's great Everybody. to be with you, man. <laughs> I can't tell you how frustrated I get when I sit there and we lose to Wisconsin and I see four or five starters from Minnesota on that team. That's where we've got to keep these players. If we can keep them from going to Nebraska, going to Wisconsin, going to Iowa, going to Michigan, there's a kid from Creighton Hall playing at Ohio State. If we can keep these guys in state and not let all these guys go down to Notre Dame as well, We've got a shot, and they are here. And maybe they're not all five-star guys, but I think you can develop the two- and three-star guys into the four- and five-star type players. You can find the Gopher Hole podcast on iTunes or Podcast One. Also, find it on the 1500ESPN.com podcast page. 
Okay. Devil's advocate take by you. You you seem to be very much in lockstep with thinking of firing Doug Minkiewicz. Is that a fair portrayal? I am not. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't know enough about the job Doug Minkiewicz did or didn't do to say that he should or shouldn't be fired. Sure. I know enough about what Derek Falvey and Thad Levine have been doing the last nine months behind the scenes, mostly because they haven't added a bunch of like key pieces at the deadline, <laughs> so it's mostly behind the scenes, to say that I trust their thought process yeah. on this move. Okay, so we're in lockstep there. It's funny. I can see the wheels turning in your head when I'm going to paint you into a corner, and you're like, no, 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 I see what you're doing here. It's that rhetoric class that you talk about from college that you're like, I know how to get in frame an argument and win that argument i'm not trying to like my two favorite classes in college were persuasion theory and argument analysis (laughs) just so you know what you're You're getting up against here i was gonna say you're saying you like to fight (laughs) got it i think that uh so, so i wasn't trying to like you know paint you into a corner so i can spike you down i just think it's interesting with everything you say here about trusting Falvey and Levine's logic, and maybe Doug Minkiewicz wasn't as valuable as fans think he was, or as Dougie Baseball himself perceived himself to be. And I wonder, then why do you want him to be the manager of your fall league team? Not like it's the most vital job in the organization, but why is he respected enough to be offered the fall league job, and then a couple weeks later not respected enough to just be kicked off the island. Is it possible, we're not talking about a couple of idiots running the front office who thought he was valuable enough to run the Fall League team. Oh, changed my mind. And then like changed their mind. Or, oh, well, we needed that person to be the Fall League manager, and if they're not willing to yeah. step up, they're out. My guess is new information came to the surface in that stretch, okay. that six-week stretch. Could be. New information was brought to light in some form, and this is an educated guess and speculation in part uh, by me, that changed their minds. Okay, could be, could be. I don't know. And, and, I, and I unless the enough. twins decide to come out, you know, we we did send a note during our radio show today to Dave St. Peter, hmm. and and he said we just publicly we just have no other statement on the matter. Okay, it's just done. So it's it's we wish Doug the best going forward, and that's it. Okay, so there might unless the twins want to come out, or unless somebody wants to do some digging and find out did Doug do something? Did Doug? dress somebody down did he do something to embarrass the organization i'd love to find out I'm one way or the other this. and you know what if doug and his wife sorry to interrupt no it's fine if doug and jody are going to come out gloves off in the star tribune and call the organization unprofessional and insinuate that the organization poo-pooed the hurricane irma cleanup and also jody Minkavich's heart surgery those are pretty aggressive accusations and insinuations if i'm the twins they're essentially asking for me to come out and and either throw Doug under the bus or tell the truth. Yeah. I mean, those are like the, to say that you know what the twins don't care about about our family's health. They you know, they're, they're callous enough to fire someone during family turmoil. That that warrants a response, I think, more than unless they just don't care about the bad PR. And in which case, all right, we might never get a, a real answer. Yeah. Um. What were we talking about just a second ago about the Fall League manager, and then he's not. I lost my train of thought. Uh, and then uh, it's it's happening. Is it that is happening, and we can and talk the about twins that. They're going to beat the Yankees a couple times and then beat them again. I'm sure, we can talk about that on another podcast. <laughs> Severino lined up for the uh, the wild card game, but I just think this whole thing is uh, it's a little bit surprising um, that you would that you would make this move. But 
not altogether shocking or anything like that. And here was my point that I was going to make, which is a true radio pro trick, just start talking about something else. And your point will flood back. I'm sure you, you do that all the time. I know fl- Judd does Has that. it flooded back yet? Yes, it's back. Stalling? No, okay. I've got it. This isn't my stalling tactic. This is my touchdown dance. I've stalled dance. for four shows before. And then, like, finally on Thursday, oh, my right. God, that's the point I was yeah. going to make on Monday. Yeah, well, this is my touchdown Genius. dance for having remembered the point. But uh, the minor league dust-ups aren't a huge deal to me and clearly not a huge deal to the Twins. Who's the Twins' first base coach right now? Jeff Smith, former minor league manager who allegedly benched Miguel Sano for like a week because he took too long to run around the bases and was pimping a home run. Now, maybe you do need, if if you think that it's a player safety issue, maybe you do need to bench minor leaguers who think they're too hot to trot and are going to walk around the bases. Well, okay, somebody else is going to get drilled in the neck, and I'm not standing up for that if I'm a manager. A player needs to learn that. But if there was any friction there, I thought that was. I, honestly, I thought that like just let let him slow walk around the bases. Wait, I, I didn't. I personally didn't. That's how baseball that much, should but, be. But, right. But if the opposing pitcher cares, then I have to care. Sure. Now I'm paid to care as a manager. I'm protecting, you know, Byron Buxton. I don't want him getting hit in the ribs because so and so walked around the bases. I, it doesn't matter who you are to me. If it becomes a player safety issue, that's a thing that matters. But if there is any friction there, a it hasn't been obvious to me. I mean, it's not like Sano goes out of his way to avoid Jeff in the clubhouse or anything like that. And if Jeff's just a good worker and he's going to be like a catching instructor that helps out with Jimenez and Castro and Garver and you think he adds value and there's maybe this like minor little awkward point that you benched this guy four years ago and he maybe still holds a grudge, that's clearly something that they're willing to look past. I mean, they hired Jeff Smith. So whether that was Paul Molitor's influence, whether that was a, you know, Maybe Gene Glenn has some say there or something. I don't know what went into the decision to hire Jeff Smith for the coaching staff, but I know that you didn't have to make that promotion. Yeah. You could have gone anywhere and gotten a sort of a catching instructor who instructor who can coach first base. Rudy Hernandez could be coaching first base right now. Instead, he's sitting in the tunnel helping in the batting cage as the secondary hitting coach in case anybody needs any additional uh, hitting tips or anything. So, like... My only point is, like, if you're firing him for blowing up at the manager, that's sort of incongruent with how you've handled hirings over the first 12 months of your – or first 10 months of your tenure at the helm of the Twins. It's just – yeah, it, it makes me scratch my head. I, so I guess final uh, – wow, puberty kicking in for me on this podcast. Finally. It's man, great. It's only been like 150 episodes. <laughs> it's great that we can – Finally developing my voice. We can edit it out of the podcast, but it's – I think we leave it in. Facebook Live for in perpetuity. I think we leave it all in. Um, final thought on Doug Mankiewicz. I just feel like if he were worth whatever the trouble is, if if, if they're annoyed by – uh, his old school nature. If they're annoyed by maybe him getting into dust ups with umpires and, and whatever, maybe whatever the the shortcomings are there, and there's value as well. But if the value outweighed the shortcomings, they wouldn't have fired him. Right? They wouldn't have fired him. And they and they've put some smart people in place. I think they've made some good hires. I think James Rosen has been a, a really good hire. Yeah. That has connected well with hitters, including Byron Buxton. And so, in general, until they prove otherwise, they've made a pretty historic turnaround with the help of people who were here before Derek Falvey and Thad Levine got here and with credit to the players. But I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt to say that, okay, the firing of Doug Minkiewicz and anyone else they decide to let go, whatever. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with I'm gonna roll with them and give them the benefit of the doubt until they prove otherwise. You know, we'll do another Touch 'Em All podcast this week, and I think we should bring back the mailbag. People seem to like it. I got a couple sure. notes on Twitter and Facebook that said, you know, let me know when you're doing another one of these. So I don't personally like that's not my default format. Like we sort of make our ideas on our own and go, but like I want to talk to the fans, and if they want to do, if you want to submit questions for us. I'm definitely not going to look down my nose at that. So maybe we do another one of those this week. But one thing, Phil, just jumped into my mind when you said they've made this historic turnaround. And if they win tonight, it will. I don't know if you know this stat. Here's our stat of the week. Nice, nice. Since this is, if you're listening, by the way, this is before the second game of the Yankees yep, series. Yep, we're recording this on a, what day is it? Tuesday. Yeah, they all run together as postseason approaches. Um, and we're drunk on Twins Kool Aid, quite frankly. So, of, it's kombucha, actually. Okay. The stat of the week is in the wild card era, the two wild card era. So, granted, short timeline, but so that started in 2012. In that time, five teams have lost a hundred games. Uh and I don't remember all of them, but the Astros are two of them, the Cubs, the Marlins, and the Twins. I do remember all of them. Mm-hmm. And the Twins are poised, if they win tonight, if they win on Tuesday, if they beat CC Sabathia with Jose Barreos in Yankee Stadium, they will officially take the crown as the largest improvement after having lost at least 100 games the year before. They'll beat the Astros. The Astros won 19 more games in from 2003. I think 13 to 14. Yeah. And now the Twins at plus 19 right now. But the Astros went from like 108 losses to only 90 losses or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It or, was or, or, or whatever it was. Yeah, I think it was 111 or something. Or but 80, 89 yeah, losses. Yeah. The Twins are a better team probably than that Astros team. Mm-hmm. But I, I do also, uh, I, I think it's just because it's a short timeline, that five years in this two wild card era, I don't think that that should cause us to scoff at this notion or, or diminish the incredible turnaround that the Twins have had. In fact, if there's anything besides just like excitement or unexpected postseason contention and and fans being more excited, maybe filling up the ballpark a little bit more, maybe uh, you know just being a little bit more invested in this team in general, if there's one thing that it's done for me, Phil— it's reminded me to check my ego at the door every time I write a column, every time I send out an email newsletter, every time I do a podcast or a Facebook Live video or whatever. Mm-hmm. I always start with the notion of, all right, here's what happened and here's what I think about it. But who would know more, me or Derek Falvey? And the answer invariably is Derek Falvey. Right. And it's allowed me to continue to say, Okay, I can still have opinions that run counter to his or what the Twins have done, and 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 maybe the whole story's not out there. Whether it's Minkiewicz or or Miguel Sano, I remember last year being frustrated with the Twins that they weren't playing Miguel Sano at third base when Trevor well, Plouffe got hurt. So that's where your that's where the theory takes a bit of a detour, and that Terry Ryan knows more about baseball than either one of us will will ever know, at least from a, from a scouting perspective. But. Terry Ryan putting Miguel Sano in right field was a horrendous, yes. obvious first guess bad yep. decision. Yep, for sure. So, I'm not saying that I can't criticize the Twins ever or that I'll never do it again. It's just every time I go with an argument that says, hey, I don't like what the Twins are doing here. A, I haven't done it as much this year because how can you not like what they're doing right now mm-hmm. going on this plus 20 or more win improvement? But I'm I'm just a little bit more... not. Cautious makes me sound like I'm just being a wuss and taking the gloves off. That's not what I mean. I'm, I just think that anytime I take a swipe now, it's like, hey, 
this is what I think, but like also I'm entitled to be wrong. Totally cool with it. And that's kind of how yeah. I come down on this one. On the surface, weird firing and I don't get it, but I'm also willing to sit down and say, well, all right, you've got more information. You are more invested in this than I am. Like this mm-hmm. is just no offense, but like I just talk about the twins and whether you have Doug Minkiewicz or not, I, I'm going to be doing it. You are trying to build a winning organization, a winning culture top to bottom, and ultimately trying to go to a World Series. I don't have that kind of pressure. So so like my skin, the skin that I have in the game is not nearly what these guys have. And, and I sort of want to have that humility. I have to wrap this show up. I have a bonus stat of the week if you want. Two stats it's, of the it's week? It's actually trivia for you because right. I got this from Jason Stark on uh, our radio show a couple days ago. So um, I don't know how he set this up, but uh, I, I believe it was Corey Kluber or someone to reach 250 strikeouts. It was a 250 strikeout question. Uh, from from some other starting pitcher in baseball, the Twins have had two starting pitchers in their history tally 250 strikeouts in a season. Can you name those two starting pitchers? Two different starting pitchers, 250 strikeouts or more in a season. Can wow. you name those two starting pitchers? Is and now I'm dating myself. Because I'm going to probably have to go back before my conscious era of following Twins baseball. Because I don't think Johan ever hit 250. Well, you're wrong. He did. Okay, so Johan Santana. <laughs> so you're all, already wrong. Is the other one Bert? Bert is the other one, okay. yeah. All right. Now, can you name the only Twins starting pitcher in the last 10 years to get to 200 strikeouts in a season? Two, po- Post-Johan. 200 strikeouts. So post-Johan. Yeah, era. so 2007 and beyond. 200 strikeouts. You got to have the innings to do it. And Pavana wasn't is, a strikeout really guy. Hard, yeah. And Gibson hasn't been a strikeout guy until now. And even then, average-ish strikeout yeah. guy. And Bartolo hasn't been around long enough to no, have pulled it not. off. No. So I have I have two I guesses, three, it's cheating. Uh, and, and Frankie wasn't the same after 2006. So I don't think he ever got the innings or the strikeout rate back. Um, my gut says that it's Phil Hughes. In 2014. So he did not get to... I want to look that up. Because I know he's not the, a big strikeout the, guy. The answer, according to Jason Stark, is Francisco Liriano, 2010, really? okay. which he did strike out 201. All right. Okay. Phil Hughes, I, though, must have gotten pretty darn close. Well, right? I know he set that strikeout to walk rate record, and he only had like 14 or 16 walks or something crazy like that. But I don't think he's a 200 strikeout guy. I never think of him like that. Even if he gets to 200 Ooh, innings, he's he like, to, yeah, he got to 186. In yeah, the year he's, that he threw he's like innings. a he's like a. If you think about it in terms of strikeouts per nine, he's like a seven. Yeah, I, I think when he's when he's going well, Gibson's kind of in the seven range now. Irvin Santana's kind of in the seven to seven and a half. Barrios might get there. He might be the next one to get to 200 strikeouts just over the course of a full season. Um, but yeah, Actually, I you guess, know, Urban Santana might get there this year. Yeah, and that's what I was wondering if he had done it at any point. But the the first year he was with the Twins, obviously the steroid suspension, and then last year I don't think he had two hundred strikeouts. Well, so. Urban's not going to get there because he's going to make about two or three more starts, maybe two more, and he's at one hundred sixty one. So he'd have to basically break the strikeout <laughs> record a couple times, and then he would get to two hundred. You know what? He's, I, you know, he's only reached two hundred once in his career. Yeah, Interesting. I I don't because I don't think of him really as a strikeout pitcher. He's he's got some swing and miss to him, but he's more of like a ground ball, durable, stay healthy, make yeah. your 33 starts. And that's what I was just going to say is that Irvin Santana's not going to get to 200 strikeouts this year. That's my bold prediction of the week. And that's just fine. If he goes out and starts 
a good game in Yankee Stadium on the wildcard game. Is that October 3rd? Don't need 200 strikeouts. I just need seven good innings at Yankee Stadium. Try to pitch the Twins on to the next round. And then you figure it out from there, whether you start with Barreos, whatever. We can talk about all that on another podcast, but I think Irvin's kind of giving you what you need this year. Some non-competitive starts, but mostly he's been great. And if he gives you one start, does not matter. We will forgive Wor- any and all the misgivings. Fifty million dollars and the yeah. uh, the stumbling out of the gate start by him. Yeah, a couple you'll take years it. Ago. Yep. you'll take it. Mm-hmm.